Good afternoon. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast from the Del Norte County Office of Education in Del Norte County Unified School District. My name is Jeff Harris, and I'm the superintendent of schools for Del Norte County. And today in our podcast, we are going to be talking about school registration. I know a lot of folks are really kind of wrapping up their summer and and thinking, yeah, school's going to start here in a couple weeks. But the reality is, uh, our staff has been here all summer long. Our staff has been gathering registrations from families, but we still know that there are a lot of families who haven't registered, haven't let us know that maybe they've moved into the area um, or haven't turned in the uh, registration paperwork for their youngest children entering transitional kindergarten or kindergarten. So joining me today are Elise Hoff, our Student Information Services CalPADS data technician, the longest title in the district. Welcome, Elise. Thank you. Kristen Bergren, our executive assistant for, what is it again? Educational services. <laughs> I always get education services and student services confused. So this is, Kristen is the executive assistant for the assistant superintendent for educational services. And then uh, assistant superintendent Jeff Napier, uh, who is the assistant soup for business services and oversees everything from interdistrict transfers to enrollments to staffing to budgets and all those things. Good afternoon. So welcome to the three of you. Um, so today we want to talk a little bit about registration. So Kristen, I know you've put in a lot of work over the summer. Elise, a lot of what you have to do is extremely, this time of year, dependent on enrollments. And Jeff, I know that enrollments for you as we're talking lottery, as we're talking spacing, as we're talking staffing are pretty critical. So I'm just going to let the three of you kind of dive in, but Kristen, we'll maybe start with you a little bit. What has gone on over the summer um, regarding registrations and where can folks find registration information if they haven't already registered their child? Um, registration packets are available at the district office in the lobby area. Our receptionist is very friendly and helpful. Um, mostly we've had people come in or call to pick up packets and then turn them back in. And that is about it. Well, and, I, and secretaries are back Monday, right? Yes. And I know that they have a training first thing Monday morning, but then packets are also available at school sites. Yes. And are packets currently available on the website? No. We have some forms on the website, but we don't have anything they can electronically fill out. Okay. All right. That's good to know. And Elise, why is it so important that we have folks that are filling out these packets and getting them in early. And Jeff, I'll let you chime in here too. Our biggest thing right now is that for state reporting, we need to get everybody in the system and ready to go before uh, school starts. There's a lot of parts to it. Um, when your child enrolls with our schools, we set them up in our student information system, but then they also get hooked up with educational materials and we're trying to get all of that set up before school starts so that we have all of the kinks ironed out. So when they come to school their first day, their teachers will have them in their electronic classrooms with access to their materials. Well, and I think that's important because I don't know if a lot of families understand that most of our curriculum has some electronic component, mm -hmm. right? And the, the publishing company or their access to that electronic curriculum comes directly from our student information system. So if they're not in there, they're not going to have access to those things as quickly as their peers. Right. And then the other groups of students that are super important is our students who are English learners. 
we need to assess them and we want to get them assessed as quickly as possible so we can start providing them services as soon as they come into their classrooms. Yeah, that's huge. And Jeff, what does it mean for you when, when we have late registrations? Well, uh, there's a couple of things. First, the interdistrict transfers, our interdistrict transfer process, we have two lotteries. And the first lottery, the application uh, deadline was in March, mm -hmm. and the first lottery took place in April. So we already have, we place some students, but because we don't know where all these kids are going, there's still quite a few on the waiting list from first lottery. And the second lottery just closed, and that... Um, the application period just closed and the lottery is actually this Friday. So we're going to have another waiting list of kids. And if we don't have the good enrollments at the schools, we can't place kids on the lottery into uh, interdistrict transfers because we do not want to overload classes by allowing you know students from outside that school zone into the school if there's already too many kids in that class. Right. And, you know, I think we've all watched real estate this last year and real estate's gone crazy. Houses have gone up and they've sold houses. Other houses have, uh, we know families have moved. Those houses have gone up on the market. Other people have moved in. We really don't know where a lot of students are. We've had a lot of in-county movement this summer right. that we've heard from families that attended one school last year who have moved into the zone of another school this year. And so we're trying to figure that into the interdistrict transfers. They don't have to get a transfer if they live in the zone, but that's impacting the number of students in those classes. And it, we also need to know, are we properly staffed at each site for right. the number of students? And so as we have people who are going to be showing up within the first couple of weeks enrolling their kids, we may end up may having to shuffle teachers from one site to another for the load. So we're really right. encouraging people to get enrolled before school starts. Right. Well, because when we start that, the, the teacher shuffle, that's not good for the teacher or the students. Correct. Right. Because they, they get to know their teacher. Um, so, you know, kind of as we, as we go through this process, um, we, school starts just here in two weeks. We've got uh, next week, the following week, and then August 29th is the first day that students are here. Um, and I think this is, you, you've done a lot too, Kristen, with the kinder and TK registrations and enrollments. Um, but at this point, my understanding is district-wide, where we expect typically around 250 to 300 kindergarten registrations, uh, the last number we had, and we know that our secretaries aren't back yet to process some of the registrations that we got earlier in the summer, but um, we only have currently around 90 to 100 Correct. kindergartner enrollments. So, um, again, Kristen, those those documents, those, those enrollment packets are available here at the district office. Yes. As of Monday, they can pick them up at the um, school sites. Can they give you a call if they have any questions? Of course. And what what's the number? Seven zero seven four six four zero two zero three, and that's I think right to your desk. Yes, and they can get that information from you. So um, registration, though, for Kinder is not the only thing we need, right, Jeff? You were just saying we need registration for all grade levels because I think what a lot of our families don't know is if we overload classes at a particular school. Um, because we allow interdistrict transfers and then people say, oh, by the way, we moved here and they have first right to that school, we may have to move students, not just teachers. Correct. That's part of the interdistrict transfer agreement. If the class does become overloaded with in-zone students, we may have to move the interdistrict transfer students back to their home schools. Right. And and we want to avoid that again because we want to, I think, our, I think everybody around the table can agree, uh, the last two or three years have been extremely disruptive as it is. So, um, so let's talk a little bit more about some of the other things that we need folks to, um, 
register for? And Elise, I think you brought up transportation. Um, transportation is important. Um, what we need people to do is once they're registered um, and have their packets turned in, uh, they can then go onto our website and there's a form and you can uh, sign up for transportation. The sooner that our transportation department knows how many students they're going to need to service, the better we can get our bus schedule set up. Right. Because they, they have a very complex schedule of pick up and drop off, a very, a very complex number of routes that are out there with our bus drivers. And Jeff, what just, just to be clear for folks, what do we provide transportation for? What do we not provide transportation for? And um, kind of what, what are those transportation zones? Uh, we provide transportation for uh, in-zone busing. Uh, it's with students, for kindergartners. It's within one mile. If they live outside of one mile from the school, then we provide transportation for them. For mm-hmm. elementary students, it's a mile and a half. And then middle school and high school, I believe, is two miles away from the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, interdistrict transfers, we do not provide uh, busing for, right? Except for we do a we do a Redwood pickup at sunset for parents if they are interdistrict transfer to Redwood, they can drop their kids off there. And then Mountain School, we provide an in-town bus up to Mountain School. Right. Well, and I think the Mountain School piece is kind of interesting because the registration for Mountain is different than the registration for the other schools. Because Mountain is kind of a, it's a magnet school, right? An environmental sciences school, an outdoor type school. And um, Mountain, because it's a magnet school, they don't have to put in for the lottery if they choose to go to Mountain. Is that correct? They they put in the lottery form, but they're automatically approved as long as there's room in that grade level. Okay. And what? we have to look at the three grade levels since they're combination classes. Right. Uh, we want to make sure we don't want to put, you know, 40 kids into a class that's made up of sixth, seventh and eighth graders. Right. Or and I think like our, our target was 25. Correct. At most. Um, and that includes students that live up up the hill. But um, what if they've missed the lottery for Mountain? That they can still uh, enroll for Mountain. Okay. But the other schools, if they did not apply for the first lottery and did not apply for the second lottery, then... Um, they need to wait until next year. For the most part, we are allowing, um, if we've had a couple of situations where people have moved over the summer and they mm-hmm. didn't know that they had to apply for interdistrict, uh, there is an option of an administrative, a one-year administrative placement. But if we do any of those, that won't happen until probably the third or fourth week of school okay. after class sizes have settled. Which pushes us down to the middle or end of September. Correct. And, and quite honestly, for anybody listening to the podcast, one of the things that I think we've seen over and over again is it sounds, you know, it, that may sound okay, but by the time that really happens, students have made friends. They've connected with that teacher. They've connected with that school and that class, and they're used to that routine. So that's harder to make the move at that point. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, you know, along with students who kind of buy into that system, um, we also have to think about students who may come late, right? We're talking right now, we're talking about students who are here on time, who really embed within the school and then maybe want to move. Um, But when we talk about students that are coming later, um, again, that's why this early registration, I think is so important is because when students come later, they feel almost like they're left out or they're another, right? Because kids are already making friends, they're already getting to know routines. So I think, you know, 
I think that's a good reason to kind of segue into a couple of other things. And that is one way um, to get students engaged early is through transitional kindergarten. So again, we've been talking a little bit about kinder, but Kristen, we have transitional kinder, which is the first year of a two-year kindergarten program. And what's the age requirement for TK? TK is for kids who turn five between September 2nd and February 2nd. And same registration process. Same registration, same as the kindergarten packet. So, um, and again, it's the first year of a two-year kinder program. And Jeff, where are the, where are the TK programs? Because I know last year the only full-blown full TK program that we had was at Pine Grove. Correct. This year we're expanding it to Pine Grove and Joe Hamilton for the in-town schools. So anybody that lives in the in-town schools, Pine Grove, Mary Peacock, Best Maxwell, Joe Hamilton, uh, that would be their two choices for TK. And if just because they go to TK there doesn't mean that they stay at that school. Yeah, they, I think that's a big thing. They return, a lot of folks, yeah. they return to their home school for kindergarten. And then our outlying schools of Smith River, Mary P or Margaret Keating, and Mountain School, they will allow some TK just for their end zone students, not uh, transfers from in town out to there. Right. And that technically, while we have a Joe Hamilton and um, Pine Grove, the TK classrooms, those other ones, Smith, uh, Mountain, and uh, Margaret Heating, those are combos. Correct. Those right? are an actual kindergarten class that has some TKs in it. Right. That's a TKK combo. And, you know, at least um, I know one of the things that you have to do is you have to kind of report once Kristen gets the documents out, which she starts putting out in, in March and and once the documents are out and the parents are turning them in, uh, the state requires that we do a lot of reporting. It used to be once or twice. Yeah, I know. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> it used to be once or twice a year. Now it's like all the time. Yeah, essentially um, now every single reporting period has been ex is can be reported at any time during the year. They used to do information draws from us uh, three times a year. It's going to be monthly. So we, wow. it's very important that we have accurate information and uh, they're going to be basing all sorts of things off of this. So it's well, it's a continuous reporting period now. Which makes it so much fun. It is um, fun. But but I think that the one of the things that you have to do that's specifically linked to registration um, is verify or, or upload for the state uh, the immunization data. Right. So, and, oh, uh, I was just going to say, so the one thing I want to point out before you dive in a little bit is last year, there was a lot of concern that COVID immunizations were going to be required of students. That is not the case. Um, CDPH confirmed la as late as last week that immunization, COVID immunizations were not required for students to come to school. Exactly. And the immunization requirements have not uh, changed. Mm -hmm. Um, recently. So we have all of that information detailed in our enrollment packets. And if you have any questions, you can always call the district office and ask for health services and they can help you get your immunizations. They can direct you to providers. And, and give them all the information about what if the immunizations are incomplete or what grade levels and all those kind of things. Exactly. Perfect. So, you know, I also want to talk a little bit about uh, a document that a lot of our families may or may not be aware of that I don't, Kristen, is the um, educational benefit form included in the enrollment packet? It or, is. It is. It is in every enrollment packet. Okay. And it will be going out to um, every student for their first day back packet. So parents will have 
two bites at that apple. Yes. So if, if they are registering children for the first time, it's already included. Yes. For everybody else, they'll see it the first day. Yes. So, um, Jeff, you want to talk about a little bit about what the educational benefit form does for the district? Or actually, I shouldn't say does for the district because it's not for the district. It's for kids. And that's Correct. why it's called an educational benefit form. Correct. It it's basically has to do with the majority of the district funding that comes from the state under the LCFF is we receive supplemental and concentration funding, which basically is driven by our LCAP, the Local Control and Accountability Plan. So we receive just a little over $7 million in supplemental and concentration funding, and that goes to specific um, programs for students in schools. We use it for music. We use it for counselors, for all sorts of- Class size reduction. Class size e reduction. Even transportation, right? Uh, correct. We have, yeah. And th the LCFF, that supplemental and concentration, is based on what's called your unduplicated pupil population, which is made up of English learners, uh, what they consider free and reduced lunch, and homeless and foster homeless youth. and foster youth. Right. The vast majority of our unduplicated count uh, would be what we used to call free and reduced lunch. We are now, since we offer universal meals for everyone, we don't do a free and reduced lunch count and have those forms filled out anymore. But we're still required to document how many people would have been income eligible for that, and that's mm -hmm. what our unduplicated count. Uh, consists of. So without those forms, we're looking at a reduction in funding, which is specifically going to programs at the school sites that benefit the students. Right. I was going to say, because a lot of that, well, all of that, when you talk about supplemental and concentration, ag again, for folks who haven't dug into that particular document, those funds go specifically directly to those programs, to students who um, need additional supports, uh, both in the class and in programs outside of the classroom. Um, and if our, if, if the counts go down, if our families aren't filling out those forms, then in the next years, the state decreases that. So again, you know, I think one of the things we always get accused of is that we're monetizing kids and that is not the, our intent at all. It's to provide as many services as we can for students. And without funding from the state, we can't provide all the services that we currently do. Correct. So I think it's huge. Um, you know, I think the last thing, because we're amazingly almost out of time, this has gone fast. I think the last thing we want to talk about is um, long-term independent study or the independent study program. So just to kind of pull everybody back a little bit, in the spring of 20, um, when schools were completely closed for in-person anything, um, we were out handing out big old thick packets of paper and it was optional whether students did them. When we rolled into the next year, um, we had to do, and I, this is probably going to trigger some people when we start talking about uh, the, the, the blended model we were doing, the hybrid model with one day in person, one day at home, one day in person, everybody at home, you know, kind of thing. So... Um, so we were doing that and we had certain rules that we had to work under last year. We had a new law that came into play, um, I mean, AB 130 that said, here's what independent study has to look like. Um, and we had many fewer, I think, you know, we, we were anticipating up to 300 folks on independent study, 300 students. And do you remember what we ended up with? We started out with about a hundred, then it dropped after two weeks to about 30? Uh, um, 30 to 40 kind of fluctuated, but okay. not a lot. 
And, and so we did have a conversation, Jeff, if you remember, we talked about opening up an independent study school. Um, but over the course of the years with, with the changes in law and everything else, um, we found that it was much, much more advantageous for kids and their families if we ran an independent study program. That way, uh, a, a student can remain uh, a student at their school. Uh, they can still participate in events and things at their school. Um, it's just that their instruction is done remotely. So um, just to give everybody some full transparency here, a new law came out the end of this last June that changed things a little bit more. So um, uh, our staff, especially Angie Marshall, who's the administrator of the Long-Term Independent Study Program, uh, has been working with Ryan Botten, our Information Network Services Administrator, and um, they've really put together uh, a great package of classes. Our board has approved those classes, and now it is time to see who may be interested this year in um, uh, participating in our long-term independent study program. So there are a couple of different things coming up. Uh, long-term in independent study information nights um, are happening this coming Tuesday, August 16th at 530. Uh, that is for high school students. So any high school student who's interested in long-term independent study, you can either come in person to the district office boardroom or you can uh, join through Zoom to get additional information. Again, that's Tuesday, August 16th at 5.30 for kindergarten through 12th, I'm sorry, kindergarten through eighth grade. Uh, the long-term independent study information night is Wednesday, August 17th, this coming Wednesday from 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, and again, you can either participate in person or through Zoom. And the links, the Zoom links for both of those nights, uh, you can find at dnusd.org. Um, also on that main website, dnusd.org, there is a survey, an interest survey, so that we can start getting an idea of the number of students at each grade level who are interested in um, maybe exploring long-term independent study a little bit more or who are interested in getting more information. Uh, so if you are thinking about doing a long-term independent study, I would really recommend that you jump on and um, uh, fill out that survey. But remember, you can't do long-term independent study if you're not registered for school. So even if you want to do LTIS, you have to register. If you've moved, it's not really a registration form, but they do need to, to let us know, correct? And would they use a registration form for that or do they just contact their school next week? They contact their site. Um, if you've moved from one school zone to another, you will need to talk to the site that you've been attending and they will give you further instruction. So, so if they've moved from one school site to another, they contact their old school, not necessarily the new one. You can one. contact your new school and they can work it out. But the, okay. two, the two different sites need to communicate with each other. Perfect. And then if you've got that student that's going to turn five between September 2nd and... February 2nd. February 2nd. Um, they are eligible for TK and we'll have uh, an additional TK classroom this year. Jeff, we used to have that class before, but the numbers kind of dropped a little, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, we just want to encourage everybody to register ASAP. Um, you've heard this morning it impacts transportation. It impacts student services. It impacts um, the reporting that our staff have to do. 
Um, it impacts how we staff schools. There's just a lot of stuff that comes down to that one little form. Um, the other, I just want to kind of give a plug too for preschool. If uh, your child is preschool age, reach out to those preschool programs. Last year we were under enrolled a little bit, I think across the board. Uh, we'd love to see our preschool programs maxed out. So um, that's something that we'd like to see as well. And in the last couple minutes here, are there any final comments that anybody would like to make? Just get those enrollments in, please, quickly. All right. And we're excited to have your students back. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. I, I think this is the closest that we've been to a normal school year um, since the start of school in 2019. So uh, we're really looking forward to it. Um, we'd just like to invite everybody. This is the first podcast start for this year. Um almost every Friday with a few exceptions between now and the end of the year, uh, we'll be talking about different, um, uh, things going on at the schools about different topics. We'll have different, different folks coming in and helping our community understand what we do as a district and a County office. And, um, we hope that you can join us for those as well as a reminder that we are starting our regular Monday video updates next Monday. So we'll be revisiting some of this information on Monday, uh, the 15th, um, and letting you know about upcoming, uh, events, uh, dates, those kinds of things as well. So thank you to the three of you for taking time out of your day and joining me. Of course. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we look forward to having full classes, full schools, and a great start to our school year again on August 29th. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.